This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Good evening, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 98 for Monday, the 3rd of December, 2012. 98. 98. We've got a special announcement coming up at the end of the show Mm -hmm. for number 100, Um, but we'll get to that later. We have a lot to do before we get to that. This is not the end of the show. (laughs) This is the beginning. It's the beginning of the the show. The start, if you will. Yes. And so we have a lot to do before we get to the end, as I said. Uh The first thing we have to do is wish everyone a good day of Navarre in Spain. If you happen to be. Navarre? Yeah. If you happen to be in Spain and you live in the Navarre region, I believe that's how that's pronounced. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to go with that. Sure. Um, This is the the day of Navarre in Spain, marks the anniversary of St. Francis Xavier's death on the 3rd of December, 1552. Wow. So a long time ago. Yeah. I realize this is a little bit more of an obscure one, but uh, what could you do? Not a lot happened on the 3rd of December. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll give you some examples of things that people do to celebrate this day. That'd be Spain. awesome. Are these real or imagined? No, didn't these are we, real. Didn't we have one that was imagined about the queen lighting her own farts? Oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> we happened to look at Wikipedia just at the right moment where someone had posted something that was erroneous. Yes. And I read it and, uh, you know, that's that's that. It was gone the next day. These so. are not erroneous? These are not erroneous. So things you might do on the day of Navarre in Spain, there, okay. are, there are church services and religious parades to honor St. Francis Xavier's life. Nice. There are concerts of local and traditional music. Good. Or the presentation of medals recognizing the achievements of local people. Oh, well, that's nice. That is nice. You know, you did something good or, or valuable to the community. Here's a medal. I would, you know, I'm thinking about making medals now and just handing them out to uh, various people around my community. Like your coworkers. Coworkers and neighbors and stuff. Your cats. You picked up your own trash. Here's a medal. <laughs> you cut your grass. Well done. Well, I should deserve a medal for that. Yeah. I don't cut my grass nearly as often as I should. <laughs> well, I'll make you a grass cutting medal, maybe. That'd be nice. So there you go. Uh, if you're in the Navarre region of Spain, I hope you have a good time celebrating uh, today or. Have Did. celebrated? Yeah, because it's <laughs> today's over in Spain. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into the meat of the show, shall we? Sure. The Walking Dead news. We're done with the cheese. Now into the meat. <laughs> <laughs> you could say that, and later the bread. <laughs> you could say that. Yes. <laughs> um, so the Walking Dead news. We have the ratings for episode seven. And, in a surprise turn of events, the ratings for Episode 8. Wow. Which we are here to talk about today. Wow. So, first of all, Episode 7, 5.4 was the rating in the 18 to 49 demographic, and there were 10.4 million viewers. Up again. Not bad at all. And the total for 9, 10, and the midnight airing is 14.7. So, they're doing all right. They're doing okay. Um, But the real exciting thing is Episode 8, which aired last night. It was Mm -hmm. the mid-season finale, which, of course, we're going to recap and talk about in detail in a minute. But the ratings for this one, 10.5 million people at 9 p.m. Wow. So just another 100,000 over the one before. A 5.5 in 18 to 49, up from 5.4, as I just said. Now, the article I got this from at tvbythenumbers.com, 
indicated in one part of the article a 5.5 and in another part a 6.5. So it could have been a typo. I'm not sure what it was, but I'll maybe check it next week and get back to you on that. But for now, let's go with a 5.5. And for reference, that is up 58% over season two's mid-season finale. Wow. So big improvement That's huge. Huge, I know. Total for all three airings on episode eight, 15.2 million people. Nice. And they made a special announcement. The The Walking Dead is the first cable series in television history to beat every other show of the fall broadcast season in the adults 18 to 49 demographic. Holy cow. So it's the first time a cable show has beaten everything else. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's uh it's it's a huge deal. A huge deal. It's absolutely groundbreaking. People cannot stop watching this uh big gold pile of zombie mess. <laughs> gore. There you go. Golden gore. Golden gore. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what it is. So, that is very very exciting. We have a little break um now until the next episode, which is in February. We're not taking a break right now. We're not taking a break now, no. No, okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the show's taking a break. Oh, I see. We've done the mid-season finale, so we're going to do that. Um, hopefully, what I was going to say is when, when the show does come back, it will continue to get these stellar ratings. I hope so. That uh, it has been getting for the last little while. So. I can't imagine why not. <clears throat> no, me either. It's, it's the greatest thing ever, according to viewers. There you go. Okay, um, we're going to recap Made to Suffer right now. Sadly, I don't have a bumper sound for this. So do you want to do it ourselves like we did one other time? Uh, Go ahead. Uh, One of us has to do the low tone, and one of us has to say the episode title. So which do you want to do? Uh, I will say the episode title. All right, so are you ready? I I am. All right, here we go. A bomb. Made to Suffer. There we go. All right. Very nice. So we open... Made to suffer with a shot of the sun over the forest. A nice, pretty morning? I I would. Sure, why not? It looks like a sunrise over the forest. <clears throat> it's a nice shot, but it is soon ruined because sunset. we hear uh, sunset. Cause, yeah, because later on, no, sunrise. I think Sun- it's a sunrise. Sunrise, sunset. Either way, it's sort of twilighty looking. Yeah. You know? Do you get twilight in the morning or just in the evening? I really couldn't tell you. I'm not sure if there's a different term for the ambient light early in the morning. But anyways, um, it's soon soon ruined with screaming. And uh, we the camera focuses on a zombie wandering through the woods, attracted to the scream, I guess. Yeah. To the noise. Yep, yep, yep. <clears throat> Suddenly, a big dude comes out from behind a tree and kills it with a hammer. Nice hammer. Nice big framer's hammer. Or is it a drywall hammer? I don't know my hammers all that well. It looks like a really long hammer. Well, um, I, I didn't notice the length of his hammer. But uh, it's it, it 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 was a certainly a good zombie hitting hammer. It wasn't a ball peen hammer. No, I know it was that. not a ball peen hammer. You know what I heard? I read this someplace. It was also not a Friday hammer. It was not a Friday hammer. Friday hammers have a, uh, a bottle opener on the end. Bottle opener on the end yeah. instead of a pry right. bar part. I, I read somewhere that a cat will almost always blink when hit in the head with a ball peen hammer. Please don't try that with your cats. No, don't do that. I'm a cat person. I love cats. I have two cats. I love them to death. Uh, don't try that. But I read that somewhere and thought it was kind of funny. Well, whoever wrote that is weird. <laughs> and you're equally weird for repeating it. Uh, did you look up his hammer? I, I looked up long hammer and I got all kinds of weird stuff. So, I, I didn't. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, do not go on the internet and search long hammer. You yeah. don't know what you will get. You, you better have your uh, filters on if you're going to search for that, <laughs> let me tell you. All right. Uh, so yeah, he kills it with a hammer. He, uh, this guy now runs back to his group. There are two more women and two more men. Yep. And one of them calls him Tyrese. 
Yeah. So there you go. Tyrese from the comic, fan favorite character from the comic, has officially been introduced to the TV show. Now, I heard this was happening a couple of weeks ago, or at least rumors. And the rumor I heard was that he was going to show up at the very end of the episode as kind of a surprise at the end. But look, it's the he's the first guy we see on screen. It's a surprise surprise. It's a surprise beginning is what it is. Yeah. It is. Um, now, they're sort of being attacked by walkers, and they decide to flee, uh, except one of them gets bitten uh, as they're running away, and one of the other characters yells, Mom. Right. So we know that this is his mother. So we've got Tyrese. We've got uh, another character called Sasha, yep. who he was ta- who Tyrese was talking to, and then we've got this guy and his mom. Right. Mom. That's her name. And one other uh, male character. Yes. <clears throat> So they come out of the forest. They're at the back of the prison. Uh, Tyrese refers to Sasha as baby as well. Mm. So I'm going to go with daughter here. Right. Daughter. And after debating whether to leave the bitten woman outside, they bring her in through the fence into the prison. So they decide to take her with them. Through the gaping hole in the prison wall fence. Yeah, they should probably do something about that. (laughs) It looked like an explosion. Like there was an explosion exploding out because the debris of the wall had fallen out. So I was wondering like how... Was it a rocket that uh, went astray and blew in? But it looked like it was exploding outwards. So I'm not sure what happened there, but uh, it looked like an explosion. You know, it didn't occur to me that that looked like an explosion. I just saw that the fence was torn open, and there was a lot of bricks and debris just sort of running down the the hill there. Yeah, so on the outside of the wall. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, Interesting. I don't know what happened there. Could have been some sort of uh, explosion. Who knows? Or the Hulk. It looks like a perfect thing for the Hulk to have uh, smashed. The Hulk broke out of prison, is what you're saying? Yeah, like <laughs> prison could hold the Hulk. <laughs> no. You know, the Hulk's, uh, Bruce Banner's in prison. The zombie, zombie apocalypse happens. He gets pissed off. Yep. He leaves. <laughs> he could pretty much do that whenever he wanted, but I guess he gets upset during because of the zombie apocalypse. Well, you know, he doesn't want to you know, become the Hulk and do things for personal gain, right? So sure. if he's been convicted of a crime and gets sent to prison, he's going to try and do his time and stay calm and everything. But right. the Hulk <laughs> and the zombie apocalypse just needs to leave. All bets are off. He's just yeah. going to get out of there. See ya. Exactly. So I'm, I'm going with the Hulk escaped. Now, here's a, uh, I, I don't want to get too far down a rat hole, but what if the Hulk ended up getting bitten by a zombie? What would happen if didn't Bruce Banner became a zombie? Didn't they do that? Oh, Marvel zombies. I never read that, though. But I Me mean, neither. Boy, if the zombie Hulk, that would be insane. Yeah, that'd be unfortunate for humanity. Yeah, it really would. <laughs> if he could have managed to avoid it, though, the Hulk might be able to do some damage against the zombies. Okay, well, we're, this, uh, this definitely is a rat hole now, because uh, do zombies get angry? And therefore, would the Hulk be a zombie, or would Bruce Banner be a zombie? Um, <clears throat> I think, well, that's a good question. I don't know. I if I, I guess if Bruce Banner died and became a zombie, he may never become the Hulk again. That would be like the Hulk cure for him. Yeah. Unless he became a zombie when he was the Hulk. But if he dies when no, he's the Hulk, then, he turns back into Bruce Banner, I think. I don't know. Well, when he if uh, he gets knocked out, he turns into Bruce Banner because he can't be angry and unconscious at the same time. If he's, if he's knocked out. But if he dies, maybe he dies as the Hulk and then reanimates as the Hulk. But see, the Hulk barely has any brain power beyond zombie anyways. I don't know about that. He's got a little bit more. He's definitely got a little bit more. Those residual memories are certainly there with the Hulk. All right, write in with your thoughts and let us know what you think about what would happen if uh, the Hulk and or Bruce Banner got bit by a zombie. We seem to be able to talk about it for a long time, so we should stop now. Yeah. So that's the cold open. We are at the credits, but before we move on, let's talk about these characters briefly. We've got Tyrese. Yep. We've got Sasha, who we're going to go with as his daughter. Okay. Now, in the comic, his daughter was named Julie. Right. So they've changed that name. 
we've got um, we've got another character, and from the credits of this episode, we found out that one of them is Ben. Yep. No, they uh, called him Ben twice. They, they did call him. That's right. They called him Ben. He's Don, uh, uh, the son of the mother. The son of the mother, whose name is Donna. Donna, yes. Okay. And the only character that wasn't named or spoken, their name spoken, is listed in the credits as Alan. Right. So, in case anyone is paying attention and you've read the comic, you know that Alan and Donna in the comic are a couple and they have a son named Ben. Right. Who have before now not appeared in the TV show. And as far as we knew, we're not going to appear in the TV show. Yeah, we had no no idea. No idea. And I, I, I have a vague recollection of Robert Kirkman at one point saying they're just they're just not going to be in the show. Um, and, and that was back around the time of season one when we had Morales and some of those people. Right. And he, thought, he's a pillar of correct information. Well, yeah, of course. He released is. to the masses. Yeah. Well, <laughs> everybody involved is a pillar of correct information. Yeah. Um, but people were asking about it back when we had Morales. Are we going to have his family instead of Donna and and uh, and Alan's family? Yep. And uh, at the time, the answer was, don't know. Don't know. Or no or yes. I don't know. So... Um, but we have them now, which is kind of exciting. And uh, I'm not sure too many people picked up on that because nobody wrote into us about it, which right. I'm surprised. And, uh, um, you know, the names were kind of kind of obscured in the show. I mean, they were all said very fast. There was a lot yeah. going on. It was hard to tell. Get Ben up against the wall. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, Sasha, just a name and uh, whispered in passing kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So it's kind of exciting. And nobody said Alan at all. Uh, no, nobody said Alan. And that might have been the one that people picked up on the most, right? you know? So who knows? So that's exciting. We go to credits. We come back. Andrea's standing there doing her hair in a mirror. Of course. And she notices a picture of the governor's family, which she picks up and looks at. He comes in. They have some small talk about her liking Woodbury some more. And they kiss somewhat passionately, if I do say so. <laughs> and then she leaves and the governor uh, gives a crazy face to the mirror. That's right. all I can really describe it as. Well, I do that. Weird open mouth. Don't you ever give a crazy face to the mirror? Uh, only when I'm... Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> you don't make faces to the mirror. No, not really. I make shadow puppets on the wall, but... You should make faces to the mirror. All right, I'll try that next time. Governor does a crazy face. We cut to him sitting in his fish tank room, and he opens a grate in the wall puts on some music, and calls for Penny to come out. Right. She doesn't come at first, but then runs out quickly and kind of startled me a little bit. Sort of came out of the blackness there all at once. Ooh. Kind of freaked me out. Uh, but she's chained up, and she's got her straitjacket and hood on, so yep. she's uh, suitably restrained. Now, I noticed something about when she came out of the, uh, out of the gloom there and mm-hmm. reached the end of her chain rather suddenly. Yep. Right. So she was chained at the neck. That is correct. Okay. So if you are chained at the neck and you run at as fast as you can, even for, for a couple of feet, most of your momentum is in your body and not in your head. So when the collar brings you up short, your body basically continues going because it's not chained, only your neck is, and you fall down. You land on your ass. Right. Unless you're prepared for it. <clears throat> so this might be the uh, the residual zombie memory kind of thing. She's used to that. And therefore, she knew what was going to happen when she reached the end of her chain because she was prepared for it, and she just stopped. I just noticed uh, that. I don't know. I, if, if there's anything there, maybe it's 
she's been chained up so long. Well, that's what I mean, is that not that she was chained up before she was a zombie. Right. Sorry, I didn't mean to imply that. I meant that, <laughs> you know, she's learning as a zombie. There is a bit of uh, memory that happens. You know what occurred to me is the thing that I worried about is she's chained around the neck, yet she's continually, continually um, uh, decaying. Right. That neck flesh is going to get weaker and weaker and more rotted and rotted. So one at one of these times, she's going to run out, hit the end of the chain, and her head's going to pop right off. That would be very upsetting. It would be upsetting for, for the, the governor. governor. Yeah. yeah. Maybe but, not for Penny. <clears throat> well, who knows? Then she'd be just a zombie head with It'd no body. be surprising, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. I'm surprised by this development. I can't believe it. Yeah. Well, she'd be out of the she'd be out of the chain at least, and into a fish tank. Yeah, and into a fish tank. <laughs> um, but she runs out. She's she's standing there in her restraints. The governor has a bowl of food. I put in quotes on uh, on the table beside him. Right. It's human remains, I guess. And she starts staring at it because that's what she wants as a zombie. She Ooh, wants something to eat. Yummy treats. He asks her to look at him, but she won't. She continues staring at the food. He asks her again. After that, he screams, look at me, and uh, then puts the hood back on and locks her back in the wall. Doesn't give her the food. Right. Kind of a jerk. He's trying to train her. He is. He's trying to he's, train her he's to frustrated. Respond. He's not doing a very good job, really. But uh, he's frustrated, but he's trying to get a reaction out of her. He's trying to see uh, the humanity still in her. Yes, exactly. And that's the whole... That's what one of his primary goals is, I think, in Woodbury, is to try and bring back or cure uh, Penny somehow. Right. Um, We go to Glenn and Maggie, and Glenn asks her if the governor raped her, although he doesn't say it in so many words, because she responds quickly, no, he barely touched me. Right, very quickly. Yeah, very much so. Um, and she says she's reminded of this, all this whole experience has reminded her of what living people do and have always done. She's been so focused on the zombie threat for a while. It doesn't seem like, uh, there was a threat from living people, but clearly there is. Right. Glenn stands up, goes to the dead zombie that's still in the room. He tears off its arm and then he snaps the bones out of it. He rips off his arm. Yes. Okay. That, you know, that's, that's the feat of strength. It's right a, there. It's another, well, it is. Obviously, it's, I some, you know, it can be hard to rip a chicken leg off, you know, sometimes. This is yeah. a human bone. Yeah. Not even cooked. Human joint. Yeah. yeah. Not even cooked. <laughs> um, it was nasty, though. It was pretty nasty. And then he decides to tear the bones out of it so they can use them as weapons. That was so gross. It was. I was sitting here with the wife watching it going, oh, God, I, what, a, what, a, why are they showing me this? Yeah. But I also loved it. So Good times. That's right. Um, we have a quick shot then of the rescue party, who is still in position outside the front gate where we left them in the previous episode. And Michonne leads them another way, because I guess they decide they can't get in the front gate. Right. We're not just going to walk up to the door and say hi. Oh, look, a gate. Yeah, that's right. Uh, now we have the governor and Merle talking about the prison. The governor says that they have to take out the group that's living there. Yep. He suggests that Merle talk to Daryl and make him their inside man. Yep. He's the guy who can get them in or give them information. Then he tells Merle to take Maggie and Glenn to the Screamer Pits. Yes. Is that what he said? That's the reverse scarecrow pit. The reverse scarecrow pit. Yeah, it was the uh, the thing oh. that uh, was making the noise that was attracting the zombies. Right. In the pits. That's what, uh, that's what he meant by that. Okay. I wasn't sure about that. I was thinking, is this the, the zombie fighting ring? Is he going to make them fight zombies? But I guess, I think you're right. 
the well, yeah. screamer pit. Yeah, screamer. Yeah, the screamer pits. It's, it's the screamers that uh, the screamer that attracts the zombies. Got it. And they fall into a pit. Got it. There you go. That's what Merle's supposed to do. <clears throat> but the next thing we cut to is Michonne and our group has now. Sometime, somehow found a way inside Woodbury because they're in one of the houses yeah, or that was, one of the buildings. That was magical. It was just a magical entrance. It was a little strange. Um, I know they're not going to show us absolutely everything. And I, she'd said in the previous episode, you know, they're protected from walkers, but not from the living. Yeah. So maybe there's just a back door somewhere that, you know, they rigged open or was just unlocked. Who knows? Yeah, it was uh, it was unfortunate they glossed over that. It was uh, I think it was a necessary piece of information. <laughs> it, it it seemed a little jarring. I'm like, wait a minute, they were just out front, and now they're inside. Yeah. How did they get there? You know, and when I thought about it, I could think it would make sense to use the back of a row of buildings as one of your walls because you don't have to build a wall there, right? Um, but. You, you would at least lock those doors or barricade them in some way. You know, they wouldn't yeah. just be open. So, <clears throat> right. I don't know. Seemed a little strange. Ah, crap. We left the door open. <laughs> We've got this big gate on the front there. I don't know. Because <laughs> sometimes you can do that. You can build this big gate in order to uh, focus attention on the gate. Right? right. But that doesn't work against zombies. That works against humans going, okay, there's a gate. That's the way in. We got to mass an army and get in through that gate. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's probably, like, look at uh, the two towers in uh, Lord of the Rings. It's the first thing I thought of when you said there's a big gate and we have an army. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry, uh, what was the name of that battle that happened? Uh, Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep, yes. There was just that one little opening uh, where the water was trickling through. Like, you know, you bash an army against the gate, but there's this little <laughs> tiny thing now. Uh, they didn't have the explosion in the books that uh, blew up the uh, uh, that that water trickly thing. Okay. They, I forget exactly what happened in the book, but there was no big bomb in the books. Anyway, you have a little tiny gate that people just ignore. You have the big gate, which attracts all the attention, but zombies really don't think that hard, so uh, it doesn't work. No. So having a big gate on the front that's manned by many people and then a door that's open on the side that lets humans in uh doesn't work in this situation so uh, it's just dumb how did they get in well they they i'm just gonna say they found a door uh you know michonne was there she scouted the place a little bit um when they're in the room they do mention that rick says this is where you were held or something like that and she says um i don't remember exactly but maybe she says this is where i was interrogated or something so she may have been in that room before this is where you were questioned questioned yeah and if she was aware of the entrances and exits, maybe she just somehow determined that that would be a good place to uh, to get in. Yes. So how did they get in? Well, they walked there, the door was open, or they broke the door and got in. Right. That's all I'm saying. I think that there's, <laughs> uh, there's a director's cut of this coming. They got left on the cutting room floor for some reason. Yeah, time, probably. Or uh, it could have been pacing, it could have been content, maybe the acting in that scene was just absolutely horrendous, and they're just like, we can't do it. Yeah. We can't do it. They realized that it's a little bit silly that there's a door that's so easy to get through. So they said, let's just not show it. People can make up their own reasons right. or own, come up with their own ideas. Yep, yep. So they're in this room and they're they're talking and they decide it doesn't really seem like they have much of a plan. They're kind of in there now. Their plan is only to keep moving. And now right. that they're in Woodbury, it's like, what do we do? Uh, but suddenly there's a knock at the door and a guy comes in, mystery <laughs> guy. He says, uh, I saw you from outside, and you're not supposed to be in here, but they are hiding, and they jump out, overpower him, and they ask him, where are our people? Yep. And he says, I have no idea. Like, right. I genuinely don't think he knew. 
He didn't know what was going on. No, he had no no idea. He's not in the inner circle of Woodbury, so he's just a regular citizen. Schmo, as it were. That's right. He's one of the schmoes. And he, yeah, he says so much, he says as much, and so they knock him out. Right. Take that. Rifle butt to the back of the head. Yeah. Always good to knock somebody out. Ouchie, ouchie. Give them a concussion. Yeah, and possibly kill them. That's a bad Uh, place to uh, Oh, yeah, probably. So we go back to the prison. Axel is sitting in the cell chatting with Beth. Carl is standing there watching them. It's a little creepy. Axel is uh, asking Beth about how old she is and things like that. She says 17. He says, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's more than a little bit creepy. Yeah. Carol comes in, asks to speak with him, and they go outside. Carl follows to take a look. He doesn't go with them. He just takes a look. Um, And Carol tells Axel to stay away from Beth because she's too young for him. Yes. And uh, he he starts making a case to to be with her, which was really gross. Well, no, he's just saying that, uh, you know, I've been in prison a long time and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of women in there and you're a lesbian and everybody else is taken or dead. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's making a case that Beth is the only woman he could, he could be with. Um, and he, yeah, he says Carol's a lesbian. She says, I'm not a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> but you got the short hair. <laughs> he's been in prison a long time. And, you know, he doesn't he doesn't understand these things. I suppose. No, I guess not. But uh, as soon as Carol says, I'm not a lesbian, he kind of suddenly seems interested in her. He says the exact same thing. That is interesting. There you go. So She says, no, it isn't. Yeah. And leaves. (laughs) Except that she successfully deflected his, his, uh, you know, interest in Beth onto herself, which is okay. Yeah. Okay with me, anyway. Uh, Maggie and Glenn. So we we see Merle and his team coming out to get them, I guess, to take them to the screamer pit. Yep. But just as they arrive, Maggie and Glenn bust out the door and attack them with their zombie bone weapons. Yep. Maggie stabs a dude in the neck. Right in the throat. Oh, and like slowly. Yeah. It wasn't like a big stab and pull. It was like push in and hold it there, kind nasty, of, and nasty, wiggle nasty. it around. Um, Maggie gets a weapon on Merle... But then Martinez shows up, and they're outnumbered again, and they can't do much. Such is life. Yeah. It was a good a good try. It was a good try. Now, meanwhile, chaos starts to happen outside because people are hearing the uh, automatic weapon shots, the gunshots. Yep. We go to commercial, and when we come back, the rescue team are now in the holding cells, right where all this just went down. Yep. So somehow they got from this secret room to the holding cells. Yep. Uh, Maggie and Glenn are there and they're about to execute them. They're like, screw this. They attacked us. We're just going to kill them right here. Yep. Daryl throws a smoke grenade and in the commotion that ensues, they grab Maggie and Glenn and get out of there. It was a combo grenade. It was sort of half flashbang, half smoke. It Yeah, it did have a bit of a, a pop explosion to it, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, because that uh, it's disoriented everybody, but there was a lot of smoke. I, I don't know how much smoke comes out of a flashbang. I do know that if you're near one, you're pretty much hooped because uh, you can't see or hear anything for a little while. But this didn't seem excessively loud or mm. or bright. No, but they were uh, the the group group of people were obviously disoriented. They were, and but the smoke helped. It, they were, and they also weren't expecting a grenade to go off. No, Rick and uh, Glenn, uh, sorry, Rick and Oscar and everybody, they did move back to the other room before the thing exploded. So they knew yes. what was about to happen, yeah. right? That's what you do when you throw a flashbang is you uh, hunker down and get out of the way. <laughs> get out of the way, exactly. Uh, does that kind of grenade explode shrapnel? No. No. No, not even concussion, really. It's just a flash and a bang. 
And smoke, apparently. And smoke. I I don't know. I mean, Because they threw a smoke grenade later that just, all it did was went clink, 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 and then smoke came out, right? There was no flash right. bang. That was a smoke grenade. This was a kind of a combo thing. Right. Okay, you're right. You're right. The ones later were just smoke. Uh, but before we get to that, we cut out to the road. The wait governor. A minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? Where did they get those? Why would a prison guard need a smoke grenade? Well, a prison is. Well, they're gonna. The flashbangs I can see because you want to disorient and, uh, you know, disable uh, a prisoner in order to get them to stop doing whatever they're doing. But smoke is to obscure your movements mm-hmm. so that you can get from point A to point B without uh, your enemy getting a clear shot at you. It doesn't seem like a prison weapon. Well, I don't know. I mean, a prison might be pretty well stocked with a variety of different types of yeah. weapons. If there's a riot in a prison, yes, you want maybe a flashbang to sort of subdue the rioters. A smoke grenade could have a similar effect. I don't know. Yeah. I can see, I, I might be able to see it during a riot where the prisoners got a hold of some weapons. But yes. I don't know. I, I maybe they picked that, it up along the way somewhere else. That's very rare. Usually, when a riot gets to that kind of, uh, that only happens in twenty four. Well, the prison at that point has been overtaken by the prisoners, <laughs> yes. and you should flee. Yeah, run um, away. Uh, but we go out onto the road. The governor and Andrea realize they are now under attack. The governor tells people to go home and lock their doors. Yep. The rescue team, as I've been calling them, make their way to another building. But Michonne goes off on her own. She doesn't enter the building with them. Right. We don't know what she's up to quite yet. Doing stuff. Doing stuff. They're in the they're in the building debating what to do. Glenn tells everybody that this was done by Merle. Right. And uh, this now Daryl is there, of course, and he knows that his brother is involved in all of this. Yeah. This is uh, this is rare for TV or movies where you actually have information flowing mm-hmm. about actual stuff that's going on. Yes. But this kind of thing. You know, uh, track record-wise, usually takes a couple of episodes for this kind of stuff to come out. Mm-hmm. But this was like, this was Merle. What? He's here? Look, information. Yes. Although I will say that for every bit of information this show does, or you know, offer up, there's something that's held back. And we'll get to that in a minute. Yep. Uh, where were we? I don't know. Um, uh, they're heroes. That's right. He tells, well, he says that this was done by Merle. Glenn apologizes then for telling them where the prison is. So he also lets them know that the prison, that they know they're in a prison. Yeah. That the governor knows they're in a prison. And uh, Daryl wants to see Merle. He thinks he can talk to him and sort of, you know, reason with him to get him to come with them or stop doing bad stuff. Right. Rick says, no way. They have to leave. He asks Daryl, are you with me? After a short pause, Daryl says yes. Yes. So he decides that he's with Rick. So now we know that Daryl is on the side of Rick 100%, yep. and Merle is on the side of the governor 100%. I don't believe either of at, those. At, at this point, that's what we think. Right. That's what we think we know. So the governor's people are uh, in another room now talking about what to do. The governor gives a bunch of orders, and he tells Andrea to go door to door and check on the people. Yeah. Well, she doesn't like this very much. No, it's a candy striper's <laughs> job. <laughs> That's right. She argues that she can be better used because she can shoot a gun. Uh, and after some arguing, the governor says, just do as I ask. And yeah. she agrees. Nice. There you go. We now see Michonne. We find out what she's up to, and she's entering the governor's apartment. She briefly looks around and then sits in waiting. Mm-hmm. She just sits there. We see our rescue team. They throw more smoke grenades into the street, and they make a break for it. Yep. They're making a break for a uh, um, uh, a truck they can climb onto and then climb over the wall. Right. 
So the next, you know, next part is kind of difficult to recap because a lot of stuff is going on and it's basically a huge firefight. Right. Everyone is obscured in smoke. Everyone is shooting and people are running around. But here's what I got. Uh, nobody has good visibility. Andrea's shooting too. Andrea manages to get a glimpse of Oscar, but mm -hmm. she doesn't see anybody else that she knows. Right. She shoots at Oscar, but misses him. Right. The governor comes up to her and says he they have to get out of the streets. He says, we're not soldiers, we're survivors. Right. Interesting line, I yeah. thought. He, he's, he just wants to get to shelter at this point, which is really, really strange. I think he wants to get everybody else off the streets, because he did attack soldiers, right? In he, a, he did. Yeah, in a, uh, a coordinated fashion. So that was a very soldiery thing to do. And I think that uh, at this point, he's got uh, he's got conflicting agendas, mm -hmm. right? He's got the uh, the soldier's agenda where he needs to repel the uh, the invasion or the attack or whatever's going on, the prisoner breakout. Yep. Uh, but he's got to maintain his uh, benevolent leader uh, persona. So he's got to get everybody off the street. Get off the street, go home, lock your doors. I need to do something that I don't want you to see. That's true. He probably does mean that, but I just got the distinct impression he was like, Andrea, come with me. We've got to get away. We've got to take cover. We've no, he doesn't shelter. want her to know who these people are. Like He's trying to keep her away from this whole thing. Oh, that makes sense. You know, go door to door. Do not engage <laughs> this because as soon as you see who's doing this, you might ask why. You might ask them why, and they're going to tell you. And they I don't gonna... want you to know. Yeah, that's a really good point. It hadn't occurred to me that he doesn't want her. He knows that who they are, and he doesn't want her to find out. Right. Okay. So he's like, go home. Yeah. <laughs> go to bed. Everything will be fine. Yeah, just, you know, <laughs> just go to sleep. Wait for me. I'll be home soon, honey. Yeah, that's right. I just got to do something. Yeah. So anyways, they they run off. We see our rescue team. They're, they're taking some cover. And uh, Daryl hangs back to provide some cover fire while everyone else runs for the truck to climb over the fence. Right. And uh, Rick's on his way there, and he's crouching behind the uh, one of the solar panels, wide out in the open, really, when you look at, look at it. But I guess there was enough smoke that no one would shoot him. Right. That's why you have shoot. smoke grenades. Yeah, I know. Um, and he sees a person approaching and uh, firing a shotgun. And this person... As far as Rick knows, is Shane. Sure looks like Shane. Shane cameo. He sees him. Now, that causes Rick to hesitate because it's his old friend Shane. Right. And that hesitation, in that hesitation, this guy shoots his shotgun and shoots Oscar. Right. I guess kills him. Remember the failure in the cave, Luke. Remember <laughs> when he saw Darth Vader and he hesitated? Uh-huh. He cut off his head eventually and it was him? Yep. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Well, there you go. Um... Rick then fires on um, the vision of Shane. The guy. Kills him, and when he gets up to see the body, it, of course, is not Shane. It's some other bearded guy. Oh, I killed that guy already. Yeah, it's it's Shane with hair, too, by the way. So it's like pre-apocalypse Shane or early apocalypse Shane. Or uh, post-television show... <laughs> Yes. John Bernthal. The real reason is that John Bernthal is shooting uh, another movie right now. He's got a beard and hair, and uh, he contractually could not remove that to do a cameo on The Walking Dead. So. Can you imagine being uh, contractually tied to your hair? Yeah. I don't know. Why not? It's part of his job, man. He's yeah. got to look a certain way. Anyway. Um, Daryl is still stuck in cover, but everyone else makes it over the fence, and we go to a commercial. When we come back, we are now in the prison, and Carl and Beth and Herschel are sitting around chatting about formula. Uh, they have enough for a month, we learn. Right. 
which is fine. And Carl says, I'll go out with Carol, get get some more tomorrow. Yeah, end of the week. <laughs> yeah. Beth says they'll be back. Oh, Beth says that everyone will be back at the end of the week. And Carl says he doesn't know for yeah, sure. We don't know that. He's not so sure what's going on. No, he's uh, he's basically giving them up for ghost already. Yeah. They're but, gone, you know. I got to deal with it. Well, he's taking charge. He's like, they're gone. I'm the only able-bodied male here. Well, Axel, I guess. But why why not put a 10-year-old in charge instead of an actual adult? Right. Who's a bit of a creep. He's the only one with a gun. That's true. As far as I know. Yeah, Beth doesn't shoot, I don't think. And uh, Herschel, he doesn't. Uh, he could use a gun. He's got a magic shotgun. Who knows? He's got Maybe his crutch has shotgun shells in it. That would be cool. A shotgun <laughs> crutch. He just raises it up and he's got two of them. Yeah. Uh, all right. That sounds like a Rodriguez movie. Yeah, it sure does. Suddenly, though, they hear screaming, and Carl goes to check it out. Now, Herschel tries to stop him, and I thought Carl had an interesting line here. He says, my father would go, Yep. which I liked. He didn't say, and, and the reason I liked it is because he said, he didn't say my dad would go. He said my father would go. It's right. a mature way of referring to your father, right. your dad. It's true. I, it's I just true. liked it. It's, it's one of the, another thing that's showing that Carl has really, really matured, and he's stepping it up. Yep. Um, so we see him enter the dark tunnels under the prison. He passes the boiler room where Lori died and almost gets taken out by a zombie that sneaks up behind him. Yep. But he turns and shoots it. He then finds Tyrese and his gang fighting off walkers in the uh, boiler, in the, not the boiler room, like a furnace room. The electrical room. The electrical room that we saw before, right? Right. So there's more walkers in there now. Yeah. Or, you know, I was thinking about this uh, just recently, but... Uh this may or may not be the same one. There may be more than one electrical room. It's a big prison. They just, I mean, they obviously use the same set. It's just, it might be a different actual room than the one they were in before. Right. right. So this one might not be cleared, whereas the one that they were in has been cleared. Exactly. And although Carl did pass right by the same boiler room, so it was right there. Yeah. But but who knows? It could have been, I guess it could have been a different one. Um, He... Uh, so he finds them, he helps them kill the walkers, and then he leads them back upstairs. And uh, on the way, they meet another walker, kill some more of them, and they debate leaving the bitten wim- woman again, but Tyrese and everyone won't have any of it. Nope. Donna's got to come with them. Yep. So, yeah, I, I guess I can call her Donna now, not the bitten woman. Yeah. <laughs> we go back to Michonne, sitting in the governor's apartment. She hears a knocking sound in the next room. She enters to find the fish tanks. Mm-hmm. And find Penny behind the grate. Yep. Penny slowly walks out this time. She's not, she doesn't come running out. Nope. Doesn't want to strangle herself on the chain, I guess. And uh, Michonne doesn't realize she's a zombie. Not yet. Um, She's got the hood on. She's got the hood on. What was weird, though, is I could hear lots of zombie noises, and yet Michonne, for some reason, can't seem to hear those noises. Well, sometimes you you see and hear what you want to see and hear. Mm-hmm. Like your brain just kind of overrides the obvious things that are giving you important information because, you know, expectation is a, a very powerful thing. Oh, of course. So she sees a little girl. He thinks, okay, the governor's a creep. He's got this little girl chained up. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, you know, that's, you know, he's got a, you know, a room full of fish tanks, each one of them with many zombie heads in them, and a little girl chained up in a room here. This guy's got to die for sure. I knew he was an evil bastard. Mm-hmm. You know, she was. She's not expecting a zombie. Who keeps a zombie? That's crazy. That you is know? crazy. She thinks that's crazy. So, uh, yeah, I think it was expectation. She was expecting a little girl, even though there was, you know, obvious signs that uh, it was not. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess the zombie noises could have been coming from the heads in the fish tanks, although they would have been somewhat muffled by the water, probably. She might just be ignoring that bit of information. That information is irrelevant. You yeah. Know, you, just, you, you just doesn't hear it. Doesn't hear it. Done. So she doesn't realize that Penny is a zombie. She unchains her, first of all. I would have taken the hood off first. It would make sense, but uh, like you said, if she's fully expecting a little girl, why not unchain her first? Yeah. Unchains her... Um, takes the hood off and realizes what she is, jumps back. She takes out her katana, and she is about to swing it when the governor shows up and screams, No! Right. He begs Michonne not to hurt Penny. He drops all his weapons. He's... It's me you want. Leave her alone. Don't touch her. Yeah. The governor says there's no reason for her to suffer. Yeah. Which is interesting, because what's she doing right now? (laughs) Suffering as a zombie. Um, But in this scene, I was... It's one of those things. I mean, you feel sympathetic towards the governor. He, David Morrissey really sold this to me, and I really believe that he truly, truly believes that he can bring Penny back or cure her or whatever, and he absolutely, you know, absolutely loves this girl. Absolutely, and then uh, I, I completely agree with you, and I think that this was, uh, as far as a performance goes, was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Morrissey was a really, really good performance, and as far as the character goes, I think this was the first actual true feelings we've seen from the governor yet oh for sure for sure he does definitely has true feelings for for penny so and and he really didn't want anything to happen to her everything else he said and done has completely fabricated it is totally ingenuous uh disingenuous sorry and uh this was yeah the first time we actually saw all his guards down this was uh, this was the true governor uh, expressing an actual emotion. I would actually completely agree with that. And what I think is weird about the whole thing is you really, at least I was, I was really sympathetic towards the guy. Yeah. You know, he's supposed to be this evil character, but every time we see him, um, you know, and, you know, maybe it wasn't genuine before, but he does come across as rather sympathetic and uh, you feel for the guy because yep. of what's happening right in front of him. So he begs Michonne not to hurt Penny, but Michonne doesn't listen Puts the sword through the back of her head, <laughs> right out her mouth, and uh, Penny is is dead. Yep. I would have, uh, like, I expected that from Michonne. I fully knew that uh, that she was going to kill Penny before leaving the room. Mm-hmm. But if it were me, I would have positioned myself, uh, you know, have Penny between me and, and, no, me, be on the other side of the door first. Like have an escape route already oh, planned. Got yourself out of the room. Somehow. Yes. So the governor was still standing in the doorway. You know, you kill Penny. There's nowhere else to go except fight the governor, right? Yes. And your sword's already fully engaged inside the head of another person. Yes. But he's also put all his weapons down. So still to do to get those, he'd have to pick them up again. So the fact that he's what six foot four, six foot three, hey. something like that. He's, he's a big dude, mm-hmm. right? And uh, at the time you stabbed this little girl or this zombie through the head. Nobody has any weapons. True. Because that, hers is right being used. <laughs> you just lost every advantage you had. I would have used that advantage until I had an escape route. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense, but it was also more dramatic for her to just, you know, oh, stick yeah. that zombie while he Plot-wise, was begging script-wise, for her. Script-wise, this makes perfect sense. We need to have a, a, a beat-em-up. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's exactly what happens. She sticks the sword through, the governor charges her, and they fight... Now, they trade advantages in the fight as they're 
flopping around the room somewhat. Yep. The fish tanks get crashed down. So now there are zombie heads just kind of chewing the ground. Now, when you say crash down, you mean uh, the governor put Michonne's head through one of them. Yes. And she had to give a zombie uh, what looked like a little kiss. Yes. She had to put her head in the zombie water. That's yep. just nasty to begin it with. It is nasty. That's, I mean, these are teabag head zombies. Yeah. Right? So, and then she pulls the, the rest of the the tank out and yep. there's zombie heads flopping all over the ground flopping around i wrote down gnawing on the ground yep she uh the governor's sort of got her on the ground in, in a headlock her sword is long gone she reaches for some glass from the broken fish tanks and he's trying to strangle her um she gets the glass yep i hate scenes where people grab broken glass like that because you just know it's like slicing through their palm it's all a matter of choices and it's a matter of options and sometimes uh, the best choice is to take a bit of a hit for uh, a definite advantage. I completely agree with that. And I, you do what you have to do if someone's strangling you, but yep. it grosses me out. Oh, yeah. Because I like, I'm like, oh, my God. Imagine just squeezing broken glass like that. How, how bad would that be? You got to get a grip. I guess so. Especially when it's all wet and covered in zombie juice and blood. Good yep. God. She gets the glass, she reaches back and stabs it into the governor's eye. Yep. So he has now lost an eye. This is where she wins the fight, essentially, because how can you fight after you've had a giant shard of glass stabbed through your eye? I'm going to say you can't. No, pretty difficult. Pretty difficult. Um, she gets her sword, she's about to kill him, but Andrea shows up and screams, No! Yep. This time. So we've got two no's in one scene. <laughs> Sweet. They train their weapons on each other, but Michonne lowers the sword and leaves. They don't yep. really talk to each other at all. Andrea goes into the room to the governor and sees everything. The fish tanks with zombie heads, the uh, the dead uh, zombie um, daughter, yep. who he's now cradling in cradling. his arms. He's crying with a piece of glass stuck in his eye. Yep. That's got to be out oh. ouchy. It's got to hurt, but he's he's sad because his daughter is dead. And uh, Andrea goes in there and looks at him with great sympathy, mm -hmm. despite everything that just happened or is on the floor around her. Yep. So, uh, great scene. A little bit, a uh, uh, little bit crazy for Andrea to be in there and be like, uh, "What's going on?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or not be thinking that. So we have a commercial, and when we come back, Carl and Tyrese and the group now run back into the cell block. Right. And Donna is now dead. So she hasn't survived. Right. They put her down on the ground. Carl says, I'll take care of it. Puts his wet, puts his gun to her head. But Tyrese says, no, we take care of our own. And Tyrese is going to use a hammer to right. do what Carl was about to do. <laughs> this guy is a brutal man. It's a framing <laughs> hammer. I looked it up. Oh, okay. And so it's got a longer handle and uh, it's meant for whacking nails. Or, or dead people's heads, apparently. Well, no, it's not meant for that, but uh, it can be readily used for it. In the zombie apocalypse. That's correct. Carl leaves the room and locks them in there and says they'll be safe. Now, Sasha protests a fair bit, uh, but Tyrese says it's, uh, it's better in here than we've had it in a long time. And Tyrese calls it his house, referring to Carl. Yeah. And they don't want any trouble, he says. His house. We live by his rules. His right? house, his rules. Yeah. I thought that was a really cool, really good way of doing it. Like He didn't have to say it's his house, his rules. That would be a little too subservient almost yeah. you know it's just like his house we're good let's just deal with what we got to do right now yep. so really like that part mm -hmm. um the gov is now the governor is waking up with doc stevens and uh, i guess he had his eye treated and the glass removed it seems like that happened all very quickly well yeah andrea's there and asks him why michonne was here 
He says she came back to kill me. And then she asks about his fish tanks and uh, everything else that was in that room. And he and the governor says he sat there and he made himself look at them to prepare himself for the horrors outside. Right. Makes sense. It does. Milton comes in and then Merle right after him. Funny that they didn't come in together. I thought that was yeah. it was like within five seconds of each other. It's like one shows up and then the other. Uh, Merle asks what happened and the governor says he was attacked. Uh, Merle reports that they made it over the wall and he'll go after them in the morning. So they made it out the same way they came in, magically. Um, I guess so. They climbed over the wall and... and uh, so, well, they climbed onto a bus. They climbed onto the bus and then jumped over. We know people can jump over because Andrea did it. Right. That's what that was setting up, obviously. Yeah. But the guys on the wall, I guess, were too busy looking the other way for them to shoot them as they were jumping down. Right. Oh, my God, there's smoke. Don't look. Yeah. Close your eyes. <laughs> um, but they made it out. Merle re- is reporting this. And the governor clearly knows now that Merle lied to him about Michonne being dead. Yep. He gives him an evil, evil look. Yeah. Or something like that. We have a commercial and uh, we are now back outside the walls in the same position they were <laughs> before they broke in behind the car. And the guys on the on the wall are just walking around you know wondering where they are it was it was a little ham-fisted i thought because this scene was clearly shot at exactly the same time as the other (laughs) scenes were shot (laughs) yeah and they used it before and after the assault Eh, what are you gonna do what are you gonna do i know it's it doesn't bother me that much it just i couldn't help thinking about it you know take cover somewhere else show us something different why not you know (laughs) um they're waiting for daryl and uh suddenly because he didn't come with them remember he got stuck laying down cover fire yep but michonne shows up she got out and uh, rick is very unfriendly at first um well yeah because he still doesn't really trust her well no kidding but then she says uh um because he thinks that she abandoned them basically and just left them there yeah um, but michonne tells them uh, they need her and uh that she brought them here to rescue her people and that's about it their people I mean. well she's unreliable you know, yes. we're doing something here, and you just kind of disappear on us. Yeah, you are unreliable. I would, uh, I would be upset too. But he kind of warms up to her a little bit when she says, "No, I just, I came to help you find your people, and like, I led you here. I'm going back with you." Like he, he gets over it a little bit. Yeah, but I, I can see. I point. wouldn't get over it. <laughs> Not right away, anyway. You know, you, uh, you get on board. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> you're either with us or you're against us. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. You're either with us or get the hell out of here or leave. <laughs> So we have another commercial, and when we come back... Oh, no, that we already did the commercial, right? We go to the zombie fighting pit. Right. So uh, this is... Thunderdome. Thunderdome, exactly. All of Woodbury is here, so I guess they didn't listen and stay in their houses. Well, that's because that's where you talk to people, is in Thunderdome. That's where you deliver speeches, I suppose. Yeah, well, it's a, you know, it's a space big enough to hold everybody, and it's got walls. Like mm-hmm. It's all walled in, so sound would re- reflect so uh, everybody can hear you. Yes, and it's a relatively safe place, I guess. Uh, yeah. If it's as long as there's no zombies, change yeah, the thing. Exactly. So the governor comes out and he delivers a speech, which he is known for. He apologizes for not being able to better protect the people. And he admits that he's scared. Yeah. Now, he's probably just saying these things so he can, you know, identify with the common people that are there. Um, and he also reveals that there's a traitor among them, mm-hmm. and it's Merle. Merle. Throws Merle right under that bus. He sure does. Like, no hesitation there. He says Merle led them, led the terrorists, as he's calling them, to, uh, to them and let them in. 
crazy. Are they really terrorists? He calls them terrorists. I mean, but that's they're not. They're uh, they're a strike force who are there to uh, to extract their people. Right. And uh, he calls them terrorists. He does because he well he's trying to incite, yeah. you know, uh, the group of people that are there, his masses, and uh, he uses a loaded word. Oh, absolutely right. But he was he was he was making his people hate these people. Yeah, right. Not that they wouldn't anyways because they came in and started shooting. But yeah, he's 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 inciting hysteria. Yeah, basically. Um, uh, so they bring Merle to the center of the ring. And Merle's like, what's going on, you bastard? <laughs> and then they bring out another hooded person. They remove the hood, and it's Daryl. It's Daryl. Daryl and Merle, face-to-face for the first time. Together in, again, brotherly love. Yeah, for the first time in two seasons. Yeah. In almost a year of TV time. Um, the governor asks what they should do with them, and the crowd starts chanting, kill them, kill them. <laughs> so these people are clearly out for vengeance here. Yep. Uh, Andrea is in the crowd, and it seems to me that she is having a lot of realizations suddenly pour over her. She's realizing that that was her people that came. Yep. Uh, she, I guess, she doesn't know that Maggie and Glenn were there still. Nope. So, as far as she knows, her people just came and attacked Woodbury. Yeah. Which for is some interesting reason. for some reason. Um, but she also realizes that the governor is probably a bit of a dick because he's about to put these two brothers up against each other and he's throwing his own man under the bus. Right. Although as far as she knows, maybe Merle actually did do these things. Yeah. So um, she's probably confused, to say the least, conflicted a little bit. Yeah. We'll see. As we all are. As we all are. I walk around confused and conflicted most of the time. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> That's right. Where am I and who are you? Yeah. Um, the governor says to Merle, you wanted your brother... Well, you got him. There he is. And the camera kind of pans around the governor's head. It stops on a profile shot of him with Milton out of focus in the background, Yeah, I noticed. He's, I think that was on purpose, you know? We see the the brains behind the figurehead standing back there. You think so? I think so. Um, you know, and by brains, I mean token nerdy scientist. He right. may not be running the place, but he's the smart guy, you know? Yeah. And uh, we end on that profile shot of the governor. So that's our cliffhanger. Uh-huh. Merle and Daryl in the ring. And that's it. The episode is over. That's We've got it. Two, and a, two months until the next one. So February... February 10th. February 10th. It comes back. Just in time for Valentine's Day. Yeah, there you go. Zombie Valentine's. Um, so what did you think overall of this episode as a mid-season finale and as an episode in general? I really liked it. I thought it was a solid episode. There was uh, the nice thing was that there was nothing in it that I didn't like, mm-hmm. really, other than the magical getting in in of the uh, past the wall. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I thought the performance is good. Thought it was a solid episode. I agree, very solid episode. Liked it quite a bit. Um, I was talking with Dave about it earlier today, uh, and you know, through chatting about it, a few things sort of came out that I wasn't totally on board with. I, before we move on, I just want to talk about Michonne coming back to kill the governor. Right. Why? Why did she come back to to kill him like that? What had he done that was so bad and got her so upset that she wanted to come back and kill him? She didn't know about most of the bad stuff. It was all based on a feeling she had that Woodbury wasn't as it seemed. Um, She's she a very angry lady. Yes, but she didn't know about the fish tanks. She didn't know about Penny... 
Um, all she knows is that Andrea seems to love it there. And Andrea was, she probably had an idea that Andrea was sort of getting in tight with the governor. Well, she's obviously in love with Andrea, and the governor is uh, <laughs> moving in on moving her Moving in on her turf, which she had Andrea all to herself all winter. Mm hmm. Uh, I, I think it's a, a love triangle. But the governor, well, maybe it's a love triangle. <laughs> the governor didn't really do anything that bad to Michelle. No, I agree with you, and I right? don't. And, and it's the only explanation I can think of that makes any sense. Well, here, here's something that probably makes a little bit more sense. Oh, that it's that, and it's the only thing I could come up with, you know, through talking with Dave, is that, you know. He let her go, but he did send out a party of four people to hunt oh, her down true. and kill her. Wouldn't she want to get Merle, though? Wouldn't you, she come back to get Merle? You'd think she would be much more interested in, in killing Merle. You're absolutely right, because she killed everyone else that was out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's it's also typical, uh, you know, video game fashion. you got to kill the underboss before you kill the big boss. Well, yeah. Right? So you don't go right to the big boss. That never works. No. So you gotta, no, you got to go through the minions, then you got to get to the—you got to do a boss fight in the underboss, then you got to go through more minions, and then you get to the boss. Well— She did it wrong. She Well, she did it wrong, yeah. But I just don't think there was enough— um, just enough motivation for her to want to go and kill the governor. I mean, yes, she led them back there to rescue Maggie and Glenn, but she clearly did that with this ulterior motive. And I'm not sure I quite understand why. I agree with you. I don't, uh, and now that you mention it, I don't understand why either. It's either the love triangle or, uh, no, that's the only thing I got. It led to, it led to a great scene. I really enjoyed the scene of their fight. I, you know, I was shocked about the, I, uh, not ice, the glass to the eye. Yeah. You know, it was, it, it was, it was tense and, and exciting when she was bringing Penny out and didn't know it was a zombie. I mean, I thought it was a great scene. I thought the governor, his acting in that whole thing was, was really good. Um, the bit with Andrea at the end bothered me a little bit, but the whole reason for her being there, I wasn't quite on board with. I'm mm -hmm. like, why doesn't she just either go after Merle or just lead the people there, help them get Maggie and Glenn, and then get out of there. Right. Now, to be fair, she doesn't really have much of a reason to help them rescue Maggie and Glenn either, because she doesn't know them. Um, but if she's going to take them back there to do that, she might as well do something, so that could be it. Right. So, yeah, that was it. The thing about Andrea, when Andrea came in, too, Michonne knows that she's with Andrea's people. Why didn't she say, I'm here with your people. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. I was, uh, I had considered that when I first saw that scene. It's just like, uh, Maggie and Glenn are here. I'm here with Rick. Uh, we're here to rescue, rescue them. Uh, come with me. A la Luke and Leia when uh, he grabbed her out of the prison. Yeah, she might. Exactly. I'm exactly. That's I'm here to rescue. Aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? <laughs> I'm here to rescue here. Rescue you. What do you say? I'm with Han and Chewie or whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, or I'm with Ben Kenobi. That's I'm what he says. Kenobi. Yeah. Because she left the message. There you go. Right. Um, yes, that's what, I, I mean, the thing is, it would have changed the whole course of the, it would have completely changed the episode. Yeah. You know, we suddenly have Andrea aware that um, that her friends are there. And, you know, um, Michonne may not have known Glenn and Maggie's names either, but she would have said... You know, they took young Asian guy, an Asian guy, and yeah. a and a dark haired, brown haired. Well, woman how she how she described them when she got to the prison? Yeah, a exactly. young Asian guy and and his girlfriend or something and like his girlfriend that. Or, yeah. yeah, and and that would have been enough for Maggie to or for uh, Andrea to clue in. Yeah, you know, but it would have changed the whole episode. And I understand maybe she didn't go back for the governor. Maybe she went back for Andrea. 
and she knew she was with the governor, so she went to the governor's uh, apartment waiting for them to come back. She could kill the governor and uh, grab Andrea and get the hell out of there. Uh, that's a risky thing to do. I could see that. But, I mean, if she's waiting there for two people, it's hard to take out two people without getting shot or something. You know? I don't know. And just sitting there in the middle of the room. Well, maybe she knows Andrea's not going to shoot her, which actually turns out to be true. That is absolutely, that's true. But even then, if she's there to get Andrea, the governor shows up instead. She she They fight. She almost kills him. Andrea then does show up, but then she's decided that I'm no longer here for you. I don't know. Yeah, okay. That's a flaw. The, the whole thing was, it was a TV moment, and, and I didn't dislike it at all. I loved this episode, and I, I loved those scenes. It just got to me a little bit, because I'm like, just say something. But then it would have changed the whole episode, so who knows? Right. You know, this, this may have been the better option when they were developing this script. Who knows? Um, now, what do you think of the cliffhanger of, of Merle and Daryl? Merle and Daryl. <laughs> Merle and Daryl. As they call them. In the ring there. Um, that I'm not so... It didn't seem all that cliffhangery to me. Like, what's going to happen? No, it's going to be a... I'm not sure what's going to happen. It wasn't a massive cliffhanger. No. I was expecting something a little bit bigger. But the even the season, the second season mid, uh, mid-season mid finale there wasn't really a cliffhanger either. It was an oh shit moment. What was it? Remind me. It was... Uh, what's her name coming out of the zombie barn? Oh, Sophia. That's Sophia. right. Sophia. That was an oh shit thing. That wasn't a, a cliffhanger. No, it wasn't a cliffhanger at all. They actually resolved it, the whole thing, because they took her took her out. Yeah. So this was kind of along the same lines. It's kind of it's kind of a old crap. Uh, you know, Merle and Daryl are back together, and uh, <laughs> for some reason, he's throwing uh, Merle under the bus. Well, when you think about it, Rick and everyone successfully got out. Yeah. With Maggie and Glenn, so they got away. They had to leave Oscar, but you know, yeah, them's, them's the breaks. Um. They got out, so that was semi-resolved. They're not back at the prison in safety, but at least they're out of Woodbury. Um, you know, we have Andrea who's realizing some things, but not enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we don't really know what's going to happen There's nobody's her. telling her anything. Nobody's telling her anything. And we have Daryl and Merle in the ring. And, I mean, I guess we can assume that the governor is going to make them fight each other. Oh, it's going to be... Uh, but you never know. Uh, they're not going to fight each other. Well, they might. No, I mean, maybe they're not going. Their brother, they're they can't. They're just two brothers that they they're used to fighting each other as kids. And uh, Merle is so much meaner than Daryl, and he's going to kick the living crap out of him if they get into an actual fight. Yeah, because you know, they're not going to give him his crossbow or his knife or his uh, bandolier of ears in order to give him superhuman strength. No. Uh, and, and Merle punching a guy, even without the knife, with that metal thing, that's got to hurt. <laughs> yeah. No, it, uh, Merle would totally kick Daryl's ass, yeah. in my opinion, uh, out of sheer meanness, yeah. first of all. Uh, so I don't, think, I don't think a fight is in order. I don't think they're going to fight. I think they're going to pit them against a group of zombies, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right? So they have to fight together, right? Oh, that would be weird, but why would... I don't know. I don't see the governor doing that. Like, if he's going to throw them to zombies, why not just throw them to zombies one at a time? Oh, he needs uh, he needs the group to... Like, this is their, this is their entertainment, first of all, because uh, they're in their entertainment pit, right? Right. They're in the Thunderdome, and uh, he needs uh, a bad guy, mm-hmm. right? which he has. And again, I'm not... Oh, that's why he had to throw uh, Merle under the bus, because uh, if he just had Daryl, he would never get away with just killing Daryl. Because they don't know Daryl. They don't... They don't know Daryl, and Merle wouldn't let him. Merle would get upset, and he'd, he'd, now Merle would be an enemy. 
Merle did say earlier in the episode, nothing happens to Daryl. He wanted assurance from the governor. Maybe yeah. it was last episode that nothing happens to Daryl. So he had to throw Merle under the bus in order to uh, successfully kill Daryl in that in that fashion. Mm-hmm. So now he's got this. Uh, he got these the traitor and the uh, invader, uh, and they've he's got to execute them. And how do they execute people in Woodbury? They feed them to the zombies. Yeah, right? of course. So, uh, or they cut off their heads and put them in fish tanks. One or the other. <laughs> he probably wants to do that too. You probably, but uh, I think there's going to be a uh, a zombie hoedown or a showdown, and uh, they're going <laughs> to one or the other. One or the other. There's going to be Thunderdome. It's going to be uh, the the brothers, the Dixon brothers, against uh, a horde of zombies. Interesting, interesting concept to have them fighting together against the zombies. Yeah, because they got to be buddy buddy. Before they were all like they didn't know they they didn't see each other they didn't have each other but uh, they were always they were on opposite sides they're adversarial somehow we got to get them together again mm-hmm. yeah the Dixon brothers man they got to fight the, uh, them against the world kicking ass and taking names yeah <laughs> the Dixon brothers there's a spinoff for you <laughs> well they got a video game coming, yeah right? and and they're doing the voices in the video game both of them yeah so I'm that'll ex- be fun I'm excited so yeah I think they're gonna be uh, they're gonna be brothers again all righty well we'll talk at the end of this episode briefly about what's coming up um when the show returns because there have been some previews already and uh but we won't do that right now um instead we'll take a short break before we do listener feedback and holy crap did you see that there's lots of those this week um so short break to thank our sponsor we'll be back in a moment stay with us For you, the listeners of The Talking Dead, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the chance to check out their service. Jason, what's our recommendation for the listeners this week? You know what we're going to do this week, Chris? Tell me. I think uh, we got a recommendation from a listener. Somebody called in with a recommendation. I think we should uh, we should play that. Exciting. This comes from Prop House Andrew. I, I could call him friend of the show, Prop House Andrew, because he, he writes in a fair bit. And this week he had a recommendation for Audible for us. Cool. Hey, guys, it's uh, Prop House Andrew out in Los Angeles. I just wanted to give a uh, suggestion for Audible. It's a book called Apocalypse Z, The Beginning of the End, written by Manel Luiero. I'm sure I butchered that name. Narrated by Nick Poddell. Clocks in at 11 hours, 31 minutes. Available for $13.99. Or one credit is available as an introductory book uh, when signing up through Talking Dead. I definitely suggest it. The book is done in journal form. It's a series of entries by a man telling the story of the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. Uh, It's uh, him and his cat. So I really enjoy it. I think your readers might enjoy it or your listeners. And uh, well, that's it. Thanks again for uh, all your hard work. Excellent. I like that idea, the uh, the beginning of the zombie apocalypse, not just afterwards. They don't gloss over it like they did in uh, even in The Walking Dead. You wake up and it's already happened. Yep. Right? The beginning of it. And uh, like I said before, I am a fan of cats. So a, uh, a story about a man and his cat, 
and the zombie apocalypse can't go wrong. I'm on board. Yeah. I mean, if you are looking for some zombie literature, this might be a good one to pick up. So uh, to do that, why don't you head over to audibletrial.com slash talking dead. You can go to audibletrial.com slash talking dead for this book recommended by Andrew or any other free audiobook. Listener feedback. Okay, time for listener feedback. The first one is a call from Brad in uh, Nebraska. We also got an email from Trent in West Virginia on the same topic, but here's what Brad had to say. Hi, guys. Uh, This is Brad from Nebraska. Definitely zombie land out here. Uh, just quickly, I want to say you guys do a heck of a good job, and I really enjoy listening uh, to your synopsis of each episode. Okay, anyways, one thing in When the Dead Come Knocking that I haven't heard anybody comment on is Merle talking about Maggie. Um, at one point, he does say, He does not know who the girl is, and obviously he doesn't because he wasn't at the farm. But he says to Glenn when he's interrogating him and trying to freak him out something about the farmer's daughter. How would he know she's the farmer's daughter if she doesn't know who she was? like to hear your comments on that, guys. Keep it up. Uh, Keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you, Brad. So Merle refers to Maggie as the farmer's daughter. Yep. Now, the only explanation I can come up with this is that farmer's daughter is a bit of a generic term describing a type of girl. That's all I can say. Sort of like girl next door. Girl next door, yeah. Right? Farmer's daughter is a similar but different type. And I think Merle was just using that expression, not knowing that she actually was the daughter of a farmer. That's really the only explanation I can think of. It's just a weird coincidence. Or somebody told him. Well, who would tell him? I don't have any idea. Who would know? Andrea? I mean, at some point, I mean, Andrea did tell him the location of the farm. Maybe she said, uh, you know, there's uh, Maggie and the names of the, you know, Herschel and Maggie and Beth and... uh, Well, uh, it's within the realm of possibility that Andrea told Merle off screen, which I know is silly because we only see what we see on the show, right? Yep. yep. Um, but if you're going to think about it that way, maybe Andrea told him. Maybe Merle just put two and two together because Andrea was explaining that they were on a farm. She even said, here's where the farm is a number of episodes ago. Yep. Or it was just Merle using the expression like girl next door. Right. Uh, all right. I don't think he would have used that. As a general expression, though, he, if he was using something as a general expression, he would have said something a lot more crass. Well, he might have. I don't know. But it's 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 an expression. At least I think it is, you know, at least where I come from. Yeah. <laughs> Farmer's daughter. Uh, we got an email from Johnny in L.A. on a loud smell. He says, you mentioned on your podcast your confusion over the line, something smells loud. This is an expression used in the South i.e. loud equals strong. So he meant something smells very strong. Mm -hmm. We had a a few people write in about this too, 
and uh, even send in actual dictionary definitions. And right. it does turn out that the term loud does mean a strong smell as one of the, you know, the third or fourth definition. I am uh, now officially writing that into my lexicon. There you go. I'm going to use that term whenever I hear a loud smell. Smell loud. Smell a loud smell. <laughs> when you hear a loud smell. <laughs> Maybe you don't get it in your lexicon right away. Well, until I'm you working on it. I'm working on it. It's always a work in progress. <laughs> so we had a bunch of people write in. Thank you for correcting our lack of grammatical knowledge there. Um, Chris in the UK wrote in about um, Milton's experiment. He, he wrote in a longer email, too, with some, uh, some thoughts on the awkwardness between the governor and Andrea, but I think we'll save that for um, an all-listener feedback show coming up soon. Mm-hmm. About Milton's experiment, though, he wrote, I really think people need to learn to wait before they dismiss any given scene or element as worthless as I sort of did. <laughs> there are plenty of examples of seemingly throwaway, throwaway lines or ideas paying off later down the line. Silly example, Milton's duct tape jacket a few episodes back, which looked like it was just there for a bit of banter, pays off this week by adding credibility to Glenn's fighting with the walker. True. Well, yes. Was the stuff with Milton this week filler? Was it too long? We don't know yet. The answer comes in the payoff, or lack thereof. It served a purpose for me, which is to add depth to the real message of Woodbury. Woodbury is a beautiful, brutal lie that people believe because they desperately want it to be true. It's about willing self-delusion. We see it subtly in earlier episodes. Um, Those people look way too comfortable. The streets are almost eerily clean. And here we see the delusion personified in Milton. The town's big brain, their token nerd, is in his own way every bit as insane as the governor. The point of the experiment is not that it's inept, but that it's nuts. Right. So, uh, you know, Chris has won me over a little bit here. It's something about people named Chris. I listen to, <laughs> I listen to them more. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I, I totally agree. This scene could pay off somewhere down the line um, in, a, in a way that I don't expect or don't see coming whatsoever. Right. So I won't be so quick to jump and dismiss things in the future, or at least I'll try not to be. False. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably false, too. <laughs> um, it's nice of you to say, though. Yeah, who knows. Matt from the UK wrote in. He said, I've noticed a lot of people calling for The Walking Dead to be more brutal, especially in regards to the scene with Maggie's torture. Am I the only one who thinks it was done better this way? It was a power play to threaten and scare, and as soon as she didn't resist going through with it, uh, it would seem a pointless endeavor, especially for a man of the governor's mastermindish ways. Merle, on the other hand, it would make sense to carry out the threat. He's a nasty, single-minded SOB, as seen with trying to kill Glenn because he pissed him off. He has no end game there, while the governor is more forward-thinking than that. Right. So this is explaining, of course, why the governor didn't do anything else to Maggie other than take her top off and force her down on a table. Right. Um, She accepted her fate essentially and the governor realized that you know i could do whatever i want here but it wouldn't get us anywhere so why bother he he only wants to take steps that are going to you know have the result he wants Mm -hmm. and that's for her to talk so he he wanted to try something different and i think that's a really good observation uh by matt here it is almost better it shows the contrast between the governor sort of the thinking evil man and merle who is the uh Just the muscle. <laughs> with well, right. Lack of brain behind it. Right. The, uh, different styles of uh, bad guy. Yeah, exactly. Right? Different you styles. Got the thinking of bad, guy. bad guy, and you got the the 
fighting bad guy. That's right. So thank you, Matt, and uh, Chris before him, too. Lauren from Mississippi called in about the governor's acting. Hey, guys, this is Lauren from Mississippi. Um, Y'all were talking about how the guy that's playing the governor isn't really the greatest actor or this really isn't the greatest role for him. But I beg to differ. I think he is doing a great job because he has y'all fooled that he is in love with Andrea. But anybody that is actually in love would never, ever, ever be able to do that to Maggie and then turn around and go act all lovey-dovey with Andrea. He is, I don't know if I can cuss, but he is bullshitting both of them. (laughs) So I just thought I would throw in my two cents. So howdy from down south. Bye. Howdy. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, And just for the record, it's okay to cuss a little bit. Cuss away. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know... I, for the most part, I think David Morrissey is a fine actor. Great, yeah. great actor. I've seen stuff of his that I've liked, stuff that I haven't liked as much. Um, everything on this, you know, even everything on this show, there's some things that I like better than other things. But overall, I think he is doing a really, really good job. And, um, you know, his scenes with Andrea, for me, the whole concept of it didn't ring true, more so than just the governor's... Um, performance and performance yeah you know what i mean i do know what you mean (laughs) there you go all righty any other comments on that before we get one more call here cuss away cuss away so lance from new brunswick called in and he he gives us a holy crap did you see that so uh we're gonna lead into that next but he also has a few other thoughts here which i thought i'd play so this is our transitionary call from listener feedback to holy crap fancy here we go Hi, guys. It's Lance calling from Fredericton, New Brunswick. I've got a holy crap, did you see that moment from last week's show, and I'm calling before I listen to the podcast this week. Did you see Lori Holden's buttocks? My God, for 42 years old, she takes care of herself. Now, listen, I also want to talk about that I'm tired of all the Andrea bashing. I think her current relationship with Philip will pay off in spades and reward the group. Her true loyalties will come through. And I certainly hope Merle gets it in the buttocks, too. That old a-hole is back. I hope he gets a long, slow demise, hopefully by a zombie eating him, starting with his remaining left hand. Now, I did a little research on the number five that that, uh, Andrea's uh, wearing on her clothes, and I went to numerology.com, and I found something very interesting. And quoting from them, the number five is the most dynamic and energetic of all the single-digit numbers. It is unpredictable, always in motion, and constantly in need of change. Although it is molded from an almost equal mix of masculine and feminine qualities, in general, the five is slightly more feminine, a bet a daring, tomboyish kind of feminine with nothing demure or submissive about her. Well, that sort of sounds like Andrea. You can follow the numerology with astrology, maybe drinking the tea and with that really nice set of leather books. Love the podcast, and thanks for your time and effort on the Internet. Talk to you next week. Thanks. Thanks, Lance. Um, that's some interesting uh, research into numerology with the number five. Numerology.com. I'm going to go there. Well, yeah. It's going to be your new homepage. Um, uh, so, so yeah. Uh, I don't know. Andrea's... I can't stop bashing her until she does something <laughs> awesome. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> She's just kind of... Her character's just been sort of dragged through the mud here a little bit, in, in my opinion. I mean, I know she is looking out for number one, but it's kind of boring to watch. Right. 
But I think it's going to change very soon. Now she knows some things, and she's going to have to start making some hard decisions in the second half of this season about where her, you know, allegiances truly lie. Right, right. And uh, if I had to guess, I'm going to say Andrea sticks with the governor. You think so? At least, at, at least for the short term. Like, I, I don't know. I think, yes, I mean, he had a plausible explanation for the zombie heads. You don't think <clears> she's <throat> leaning towards Milton now? Oh, yeah, she does seem to be cozying up to Milton a little bit. Yeah, she really wanted to help him out with that cremation. Yeah, that's true. I mean, she said she he shouldn't have to do that himself. But, uh, you know, she wants the powerful man. She doesn't want Milton. He's the telecommuting scientist. I don't know. He, the smart man is... Uh, is the one who truly holds the power? I, I don't know. How come I don't have more power? I, don't. I guess I'm not that smart. You? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, dick. I got the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I got. I was thinking about something else when I said that. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I think that uh, I, I think that she might be warming up towards Milton. Maybe so. Either way, though, she sticks with Woodbury. She doesn't go back to Rick and the gang. Rick and the gang. It's like cool and the gang. Yeah, but Rick. Um, which I, I I think that's what we're going to see. I'm speculating, and I'm saying that Andrea stays with the Woodbury clan for now, um, until something really really horrible happens. Yeah, long term, that's a bad idea. Yeah, I think so. She's going to stick with them until something really, really horrible happens and it really changes her mind. Right. You know, for whatever that may be. I don't know. Well, she hasn't burned her bridges yet. Right? Uh, no, no, she hasn't. She hasn't. But she could. That might happen. I don't know. I think that we're going to get something like that so that when she does have to go back to the group, because she will eventually. Yep. Just, you know, uh, not from story-wise, but from just thinking of it as a, you know, she's starring in a TV show. Uh I think she's going to have to eventually go back to the group, and I think in order to do that, she's going to have to make amends for something that hasn't happened yet. Probably. They're, they're, they might be getting close to whatever that is, though, you right. know, with Daryl there. Maybe she'll, maybe she'll help Merle escape and throw Daryl to the zombies. Maybe she'll kill Jasper. <laughs> kill Jasper. We wouldn't want to yeah. see that. What's his name again? Axel. Axel, yeah. That's that's a better name than Jasper. I'll I'll admit that. Axel's a pretty cool name. <laughs> Jasper, on the other hand, is a spry old guy. I, I work with a guy named Alex, but I sometimes call him Axel. Do you? Because it's cooler. That's fun. All right, time for this. Holy crap. Did you see that? All righty. Our first one is an email from Paul in Australia. And he says, in episode seven, did you notice that as the group of four, Rick, Daryl, Oscar, and Michonne, were walking along the forest track, that at no time did Michonne draw her katana as they were set upon by all the walkers? She kept her hand on it, and I was anxiously awaiting for her to go on a decapitation spree as the guys watch in awe, but alas, the writers didn't do that. Huh. strange that she wouldn't help them fight off those zombies. Now, she has a leg injury, but you could still swing a sword. She just stood there. I went back and watched it, and it was interesting. I think uh, she's got the same problem I do. What is that? The problem is uh, <laughs> she's a do-what-needs-to-be-done kind of gal, right? And, and, and nothing else. It's a double, that's a double-edged sword, because until it needs to be done, you don't do anything. Okay. So she... Would have, you know, if it needed to be done, she would have drawn the katana and got it and waded into the into the fray and started lopping off heads. But there were zombies everywhere, and the people were being attacked by them. That's, that's a, true. That's the point but, at which something needs to be done. But they were handling it. 
it was uh, being handled. I don't know. I think that uh, she didn't feel that it was a need to be done kind of thing. It was uh, would have been nice to help out. It would have probably would have been appreciated. But uh, so if that's the case, she's not really the person you want watching your back. No way. She also disappears. She's unreliable. Wow. Shown. No, she's got uh, mad skills. And uh, she she's great to have in a fight, but she is not a dependable, reliable person to have your back. I would not let Michonne uh, cover my ass. You know, I guess even in the comic, it takes a little bit of time for her to really become part of the group and not be a bit of a loner. Right. And I think that's what they're doing here in the show, too. Uh, thank you, Paul. Dave in Virginia sent in this. Now, he didn't specifically say this as a holy crap moment, but I liked it, so I'm going to go with it. He says, the governor uses the exact same language to comfort Maggie and Andrea. Hey, hey, shh, shh. it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah, <laughs> evil bastard. That's right, same language to comfort Maggie and Andrea. Yeah, That's uh, the classic uh, sociopath uh, kind of thing. I'm not sure how to, what the technical term is, but it's uh, in this situation, I use these words and these uh, emotions, feigned emotions, in right. order to accomplish this goal. Right. You don't really consider the details of the situation. Yeah. You just, this is how you react to this sort of thing. Yes. This this is the, uh, this is the program that I'm running right now. <laughs> well, it is creepy. It's definitely creepy. Uh, Dale from Maryland emailed in, my holy crap moment was the commercial immediately following the scene where the walkers disembowel the guy in the cabin. Brought to you by KFC. (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) We, yeah, we don't, we don't see most of the U.S. commercials on AMC up here. We see some of them, but then for some reason, uh, our local provider breaks in with some of their own commercials. Yep. It's common in Canada. We don't oh, see yeah. the U.S. We don't get to watch the Super Bowl commercials. For it's, example, It's yeah. a huge bummer. If I mean, if a guy like me, the only reason I would tune in is to watch the commercials. <laughs> so we and, have to try and find the American feed. Yeah. Which is hard to find on a Canadian cable. It's, you, you have to get over the air, essentially, and point your antenna at Buffalo. At Buffalo, right. And you have to be close to Buffalo. <laughs> which we are. Yeah, yeah, we are, but we're. Uh, it doesn't always work. No. So, anyways, yeah, brought to you by KFC. Gross. And and I don't even have cable, so I don't uh, I don't see commercials when yeah. I watch the show. There you go. But I would have I would have laughed at that too. I think that would that would have been funny. All right, Allison from Indianapolis called in with this. Hi guys, this is Allison in Indianapolis, and my holy crap, did you see that? Is when Michonne shoves that shard of glass into his eye, which actually I think would have gone straight through his brain and killed him. But I couldn't believe that. And then he was sitting there holding his Walker daughter Penny's corpse and it's sticking out. I'm not sure that really is possible, but that's why it's the zombie apocalypse. All right. Love the show. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Allison. So that's an interesting point. Do you think that glass would have killed him? Uh, Okay, here, this is going to, I have a story. All right. All right. When I was in high school, uh, you take biology in high school, or some people do. Some I took, people, bi- I took yeah. biology. And one of the uh, things we had to do was dissect a cat. Ooh, so cat. This, this goes back to the, I am a cat person, and this was very upsetting at first, mm-hmm. uh, dissecting a cat. And uh, one of the things, uh, the group that I was in, we tried to do was get at the brain. And we didn't have proper tools for opening up uh, a cat skull. Oh boy! <laughs> uh, we did try to go through the eye socket. Like the the eye was removed at this point, and uh, we 
there's skull behind the eye. There's a there's a, a bone back there uh, that in a normal person and in the case of this cat that we were dissecting was very difficult to get through. We never did get into that. Uh, the, we never did see that cat's brain. We could not get it uh, open. So a cat has a has skull behind the eye socket. Uh, every, well, everybody does. Everybody does. Okay. At the back of the socket. I think the, the, the optic nerve goes down before it goes up kind of thing. So you have to go down and then back up. But right behind your eye is bone. So getting, but then again, in this world, skulls are soft, mm-hmm. right? except for the governor, apparently. Well, I, I, I don't know. Skulls, yeah, they seem to soften after you're, you're dead. No. But Mr. Coleman was only dead for a few seconds before she put the knife through the top yeah, of the everybody's, skull. Yeah, uh, everybody's skull is pretty soft in this show, uh, except for the governor. Cause, well, so normally I don't think a piece of glass, and it's not exactly a, uh, a finely honed edged weapon as well. No. And she didn't have an awesome grip on a handle that would have helped her in any way. So it, uh, it probably wouldn't have gone very far in and would have been stopped by the bone back there. But hurt a hell of a lot. And that's that's my uh, my only knowledge of anatomy. Well, if you're wrong about that, someone will write in to correct us about skull eye bones. Absolutely. So. And, and do so. Please do so. Uh, so I just wanted, I wanted to reiterate that uh, I am a cat person. Yep. I like cats. I have two <laughs> cats and I love them. Yes. Your cats are all right. Rosie and Lily. There you go. They're, They're good s- cats. sisters. They are sisters. All right. Francisco from San Diego called in with this. What's going on, guys? This is Francisco from San Diego, and I just want to say thank you for giving such a great podcast. I love it. I listen to it every week. Um, I do have a holy crap. Do you see that? Did you see that moment? And that was when Shane appeared, you know, Rick. He saw a Woodbury guard, and it was in the form of Shane, and, you know, kind of, it got me pumped. I knew it wasn't him, really. I know he's, you know, not coming back, but in another form, you know, Rick's level of consciousness, you know, it might not be all there. You know, he might still have some demons that he has to deal with, but just to see Shane kind of gives you hope that you might be able to see other people that have gone from season one and season two, but that was my holy crap, the return of Shane. So... Thanks again, you guys. I love the show. Um, have a good day. Thanks, Francisco. The return of Shane. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a good one. And do you think, like uh, Francisco says, this kind of means that Rick quite isn't through the crazy yet? Oh, he's never going to get through the crazy. The other thing is, a lot of it's not uncommon for characters on TV to see people that aren't there and have full conversations with them, because these people represent their conscience or or whatever it may be. Right. Um, so, yeah, Rick may still have some issues to work through, um, but uh, and maybe it won't even be Shane all the time, although it would be kind of weird if Shane was constantly showing up and doing stuff. Right. I don't know if I'd like that too much. No, not, <laughs> not a whole lot, me neither. But maybe Lori will show up, maybe Jim, Jackie, Jenner, any of those no, will show up. No, I don't think any of those. Lori might show up for an episode. Maybe uh, Amy? No, Amy's gone. Oscar? Nope. Okay. Only the important people. Jasper. Jasper's coming back. Yeah. Who knows? All right. John from Chicago called in. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is John from Chicago, and I'm calling in with my holy crap, did you see that moment? Um, it was the moment when Glenn uh, and Maggie are in the, the basement or, or the dungeon room, and he starts tearing into that zombie's arm and pulls out a bone to use it as a weapon. And I very literally said to my wife, holy crap, did you see that? Um, 
yeah, that was just, I was not expecting that. Um, just wanted to say thanks. Uh, keep up the great work, and uh, talk to you guys later. Bye. Thanks, John. Uh, that is a, a good choice, and that is my choice for gore moment of this episode, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it wasn't, well, tearing the arm off wasn't super gory. Breaking the bones out kind of was. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just made me feel squeamish and be like, oh, that's gross. Icky, icky, icky. When he, uh, you know, broke the, uh, the arm, like ripped the arm off and then broke it, and then he was reaching, like he pulled back the skin and grabbed onto the bone. <sighs> just that one spot in that whole scene was just like, ah. I know. Ugh. Do you remember in season two when Andrea picked up the arm that fell out of the truck? Yeah. At the time, I thought that was a little bit funny, but also just kind of weirdly gross. And, and heavy. an arm, and the arm looked heavy, yeah. It's a very heavy arm. Well, they took the arm porn to a new level here. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty nasty. Jason from Richmond, Missouri, writes in, Tyrese shows up. Yay. Oh, but look, Oscar is dead. At this point, if I were a black guy in the apocalypse, I'd crap myself if I met another one because one of us <laughs> is going to die. That's true. <laughs> That's a whole thing. A lot of people are sort of talking about that. They they kill off uh, T-Dog and yep. Tyrese shows up. No. What happens? They kill off T-Dog, Tyrese shows up, and then Oscar dies, right? Right. They can only have like one black guy on the show at a time, it Apparently. seems. So, I don't know. Noah from Kentucky says... As a fan of the comics, I flipped out a little bit when Oscar used the catchphrase, you follow me? I just thought that little thing was awesome. Cool. So you follow me is, uh, it's not an Oscar, well, Oscar. Um, ism? It's not an Oscar ism, and he's not in the comic, right? Crap. Uh, but it's it's attributed to uh, Axel, I think, in the comic book. Right. Axel. Is it Axel? I think he ends a lot of his sentences with, you follow me? So right, it was right, definitely, right. in either case, it was a reference to the comic, which is kind of cool. That's cool. Lars from Baltimore writes, when Rick and the gang are stalking out the prison early in the, in the episode, Michonne is behind them and steps on a branch, making an unexpected noise and startling the group. In unison, everyone turns around and instantly acquires the potential threat with their weapons while exercising perfect noise and trigger discipline. It hit me immediately that the group has come a long way in three seasons, adapting to and flourishing in their new surroundings. Yep. It's a good one. Nobody turned around and shot. They just were ready to shoot. Yes. Which is important. Very important. <laughs> uh, Mike from the internet sent this in, as did Mark from 18 Miles Out. Here's what Mark had to say. When the governor gets his eye patched and Merle walks in, right at that moment I remembered that Merle told him he killed Michonne and the look on Philip's face was priceless. His eyes, or should I say I, I, was screaming, you son of a bitch. You said you took care of her. Amazing. David Morrissey nailed it. <laughs> Fully agree. That was a good scene. <clears throat> Fully agree. Loved that scene. Tyler in the UK writes, my holy crap, did you see that moment from the episode Made to Suffer was seeing Shane again. I thought after the phone calls, Rick had turned the corner. However, this proves that he is still unstable. Him seeing the gunman as Shane meant he didn't act quick enough and it cost Oscar his life. So this is uh, similar to um, uh, somebody else earlier. Um, and uh, people seem to be thinking this truly means that Rick isn't quite all stable yet. Well, nobody can be stable in this world. <laughs> yeah, he may never be. Ed. That's the thing. May never be again. Yeah. Uh, Jason from Washington, D.C. says, Andrea missing three shots at the group 
at the prison group in Woodbury. I definitely thought she was going to take somebody down. Oh, no kidding, eh? Yeah, well, they I get headshots. about that. Headshots every other time, and when she's shooting at her own people, she just misses. So, that sucks. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> Not for the people she missed. But. No, but, uh, you know, thinking back, she's taking the advanced class. She should, uh, she should have uh, be a much better shot than that. Except for the smoke. I'm a little, uh, what, threw her off? Yeah, that's what it was there for. Oh, my God, there's smoke. Don't look. Well, I, she didn't take the advanced class with smoke. Oh. <laughs> so, anyways, she missed, um, and she won't do it again, probably. Craig from Scotland writes, Wow, just watched episode eight, and I'm writing this while it's fresh in my mind. My holy crap moment was when Maggie stabs the guy in the throat. Less than a year ago, in story time, she couldn't bring herself to harm a walker. She's ruthless now, and I think her character is progressing nicely. Nice. Stabbing that guy in the throat. That was a good one, too. It was. Like I said, slowly in. Yeah. Not just a stab. It was awesome. Good times. Uh, All right, I have a holy crap moment, and... This occurred to me while we were watching it, but Mike from North Carolina also sent this one in. Okay. And it is uh, how, <laughs> it's kind of weird, how much Shane looked like Wolverine as he, was wa- <laughs> as he was walking up. The first thing I thought, no lie, when we see that is he's got the hair. It's a little bit pointy on the sides. He's got the beard. He's got a tank top on. I think he had a short sleeve shirt over the adamantium it. adamantium claws. Open. He had the adamantium claws. <laughs> no, no way. He didn't have that. And he just, he's like, I was like, what the hell's Hugh Jackman doing here? How come we didn't know he was doing a cameo? And then I realized it was Shane. Right. And I'm like, oh my God, he looks like Wolverine. That is weird. That's crazy. So I'm not the only person to notice this. Uh, Mike from North Carolina they even mentioned it on AMC's Talking Dead last night. Obviously, you're running the same object recognition software. Clearly. I see that body shape and hairstyle, and I'm like, Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I said to my wife, oh, my God, that's Wolverine. What's he doing? Oh, no, wait, it's Shane. <laughs> so, Wolver Shane. Yeah, Shane-areen. <laughs> There's a superhero for you. Yeah. Do you have one? Uh, actually, it's a it's a little bit of one. It's and it's from a character's perspective. Okay. When Andrea, after uh, Michonne left, and she uh, she picked up the governor, and then she had finally had a look around the room and saw the fish tanks full of uh, zombie heads and uh, Penny uh, being cradled in the arms of uh, of the governor with a big piece of glass stuck in his eye. Yeah. Uh, just the look on her face was like holy crap. So it was from her perspective. That's an interesting one. We've never done a character holy crap before, but the problem I have with that is it didn't really seem to resonate with her as much as it probably should have. It probably should have resonated a little more, but I just thought that if Andrea could write in with a holy crap moment, that would be it. That's a good call. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> holy crap. <laughs> yep. Uh, all righty. That is it. If you want to send in holy crap moments, keep them coming to our email address, talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or the Zomb line, 1-866-483-ZOMB. We'll get them on the show as soon as we can. Cool, cool. Before we wrap up, let's briefly chat about what's coming up on The Walking Dead. On the horizon? On the hori- horizon. On The Walking Dead or on The Talking Dead? No, on The Walking Dead, okay. and then we'll get to what's coming up on our podcast. Well, yes, yeah, I'm confused here. Okay, so let's just, uh, okay, The Walking Dead, The Walking Dead. All right, so um, the show returns on February 10th, yep. which of course is a Sunday. The episode title. Okay. This is, of course, a little bit spoilery, everybody, so if you don't want to know the episode title, who directed it, who wrote it, and I'm going to play a call from a listener about it. Um, if you don't want to hear any of this, 
jump forward, but don't miss our special announcement. Yeah, don't just press stop no. and move on with your lives. Don't do that. No. Jump ahead and uh, and and uh, listen to our special announcement. But first, the episode coming up on February 10th is called The Suicide King. Ooh. Interesting title. Who knows what that means? Suicide King. The director is Leslie Linka Glatter. And neat name. it's written by Evan Riley. Now, he wrote... Uh, in season, this season, he wrote the third episode, Walk With Me. Mm-hmm. And last season, he wrote Nebraska, which was episode eight of season two, and one other one earlier than that. So he's, he's got some writing, uh, some Walking Dead writing creds under his belt here. Yep, yep. Uh, let's play this call from Sal in Pennsylvania about what's coming up on The Walking Dead. Hey, guys. Love the podcast. My name's Sal from Pennsylvania. I'm actually calling to give you my holy crap, did you see that? It has nothing to do with the actual episode, but the coming attractions for the second half of the season, it just seems like AMC kind of went out of their way to spoil the cliffhanger that they were trying to create. You saw Daryl, and you you hear Glenn. I don't know if you actually see Merle, but you hear Glenn saying something on the lines of, what the hell is he doing here? You have to assume it'd be Merle, but it just seemed really odd to me that um, they would go ahead and spoil a, what probably would have been a pretty awesome cliffhanger. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, Sal. He's absolutely right. You probably haven't seen these these previews, so sorry if you got spoiled, but it's part of your job. Yeah, Um, take it for the team. There you go. Uh, I've watched them, and he's absolutely right. They show, I don't want to say they show too much, because they obviously have to show something, but they, they have weird choices, because our cliffhanger, as we talked about earlier, essentially is... Merle and Daryl in the Thunderdome Ring of Death. Right. We don't know what's going to happen, but we assume something's got to happen in that scene, either between the two of them or, like you said, the two of them fighting together against zombies. Right. Back to back. But we don't know if they're both going to walk out alive or what's going to happen until you watch the upcoming where you kind of, it's kind of revealed that they both do. So that scene of them in the the ring, I mean, what's, what's the point? Okay. That's all presupposes that you think that the what happened at the end of this episode was a cliffhanger well okay but you just sort of got to go with that like it's it's a holy it's a holy crap you know the brothers are together again but i don't really see it as a cliffhanger i just see it as an old shit moment except that you except that you assume something has got to happen in that ring and that ring is where people die right well we know now that neither of them die in the ring well daryl dixon's never going to die Oh, I don't know. Tyrese was introduced. I mean, think about Tyrese's character in the comic book and think about Daryl Dixon's character in the TV show. You don't have... They're not going to kill Norman Reedus. You don't have two of that type of character. And uh, I don't, you know, I'd be surprised if they killed Norman Reedus too, but you know what? They'd lose like 49% of their audience or whatever it is. Yeah, they, they can't do it. They can't do it. They can't do it. I don't want them to do it. Nobody wants them to do it. No, I know nobody they wants it. it. They but can't do it. They they do things to shock us and and surprise us. Obviously, that's they, what they're. That's the whole point of this whole thing. Shock, yes. Surprise, yes. Piss us off, please don't. Well, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, you know. Um, but but still, I think the getting back to the scenes from next episode. Yeah, they were a little bit more revealing than they needed to be. Right. Um, just because you know the episode ended with this holy shit moment. <laughs> right. We got it. We it has to be a holy crap moment. We can't say it any other way. Yeah, Come it's on. holy crap. <laughs> uh and you know that is supposed to be what is 
enticing people to come back, right? right. If if you if there was what's any going to happen mind, here? It's not a cliffhanger necessarily, but it's a what do you think? What could possibly happen? Yes, exactly. And then, like fifteen seconds later, or whatever, it's kind of revealed, right? You know, you know that oh, they get back to the group. You know that Glenn gets out. They get back Phew. to the group. I think Merle comes with them. It yeah. sounds like so little bit of a strange choice on AMC's end. Now, that being said, every time I think I know what's going to happen on this show, it doesn't, or it still surprises me. Right. Remember when that long four-minute trailer for season three came out at Comic-Con in the summer? I do. We analyzed the crap out of that thing. We sure did. We thought we had that whole thing figured out. Turns out, not even close. Nope. Right? I mean, in most aspects, not even close. We had so, a, we had a zombie Daryl there for a little while. We had a zombie Daryl. Uh, we had the governor showing up at the prison's front door with uh, Rick and T-Dog and everyone walking out and them talking. I had... Uh, that, I had no doubt in my mind that was going to happen. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet. I had Herschel dying dying in the cold open of the <laughs> premiere. And he's still going he's strong. He's still going strong with his uh, amputated leg. He's missing a leg, so he's not going strong. He's very much a background character now. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it, it, he is very much. You know what's funny? Someone on Talking Dead last night... Um, wrote in and said, if you put Herschel, uh, Merle, and the governor together, you got a whole pirate. <laughs> a peg leg, a missing a hand, <laughs> and, a, a and an eye missing, an eye patch. Uh, yeah, just a dog. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to say the F word. That's all right. Or F bomb, as they kids say these days. Yeah. Anyways, I thought that was funny, but. Anyhow, we'll see what happens when when the show comes back in February. It's not even that long. It's two months. No, you know, it feels like it's longer than that now because it's a whole year, a whole next year. But yeah. it's it's like eight weeks. Nine we just got to get past your birthday and almost to my birthday, and we're done. It's uh, it's not going to take that long. No, time's going to fly by. It's practically already happened. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for that call, Sal. Thanks uh, for uh, thanks to everyone for sending in feedback and comments and such okay before we really end here uh oh it's a nice long one again yeah always before we we wrap up totally uh we're gonna just talk about what we are going to do over the next couple of weeks and then leading into i guess january and so on this is episode number 98 of 98. our podcast that is a lot of podcasts it Nin- is 98 and the next one we're going to do is next monday number 99 99 as it were in case you couldn't figure that one out <laughs> And what we're going to do on that episode is mostly listener feedback. We've got um, we've got a lot of stuff. A backlog. A backlog. And, you know, interesting comments that people have sent in that uh, I just sort of couldn't fit in the show. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd be doing four-hour podcasts every week, and nobody wants that. The hopper is full. So we'll probably focus on a few specific things about the show. Maybe Lori's death. Um, maybe the Andrea stuff. You know, things that people have something to really say on. So we're going to do that next week, number 99. 99. Hopefully you'll tune into that. And of course, if you want to send in any comments between now and then, I'm happy to consider them and read them and get them on there. Maybe. Sure. Then, after that, it is the big number 100. 100. It's hard to believe that we're at 100. Yeah, no kidding. We're going to record that on Monday night, December 16th. Mm-hmm. So the following Monday. That is December 16th, right? Yep. And um, we're going to do something kind of special, uh-huh. if we can. And different. <laughs> and different. And technologically challenging. That's right. <laughs> we're going to... Now, I know lots of podcasts do this, but we're going to try to broadcast it live. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a bit of a free-for-all. So what we're hoping to do is 
broadcast live, get people into a chat room or something. We'll probably do this with Ustream, I think. Okay. Still looking into it. I'll figure that out. We'll have more details next week. Yep. So make sure you tune in for those details at least. I'll, I'll announce them off the top. Um, so we're going to broadcast it live and we're going to try to have people actually call in yeah. and talk to us chat talk about whatever we want we'll just see where it goes unlike the uh the zombie line uh we will answer this that's right the zombie line is a voicemail line we don't answer this we will and that's a promise yeah exactly (laughs) so the way it's going to work and again i'll have more details next week but i think we'll just have our our skype account the talking dead skype account up and running we'll make that public or we'll let everyone know what it is so if you are in the chat room or you're listening live you can add us on skype and we'll try to do all this in real time and get people on the show it's gonna it's gonna be weird we need a producer we do need a producer but you're gonna have to do more than you usually do well what would i need to do (laughs) you're gonna be running the skype i think okay so i'll be skype master you will be skype master you can call yourself whatever you want all right um and I think it's going to be fun. If it doesn't work out, or if nobody's there, then... Well, we'll that's an entirely a possibility, right? That everybody's busy on Monday nights, and uh, nobody has time to call in or yep. uh, join us. We uh, we might just release a normal show. We might, yeah. And if, if this does work out, it might be a little all over the place, a little crazy, a little haphazard, as they say. Yep. Um, but if, you know, if things are not working out so well maybe i'll cut it down a little bit for release but if you're there live you'll hear all the ins and outs inside of, baseball as of, they say of what really happens the inside baseball of recording a live episode of the talking dead podcast yeah so it should be really fun hopefully it is i'll have more details next week and um in the meantime though just remember it will be december 16th monday night sometime in the 8 p.m. Eastern time. I would say 8 p.m. would be, we usually get here and we're doing stuff by 8. Yeah, yeah. We try to start a normal recording at 7, in case anyone wanted to know. We sometimes do, we sometimes don't. But by the time we get everything going, we'll maybe record, you know, 8 to 10 or something like that, or 8 to 9.30 or something. We'll see how it goes. Well, it's 10 to 9 now. Yeah. Just so you know. It's, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> 8.50 p.m. We started around 7. Yeah, it things go long lately. Yeah. So I think it's going to be really fun. Hopefully some people will come to join us and it won't be a giant um, disaster. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll see. We're taking a chance. Totally. You got to take chances. It'll be, it'll be fun. I think I've been wanting be, to do a live show for a long time. I think it will be really fun. I've got some work to do in the meantime to do some trial runs and tests and this and that. Uh, but I hope you will join us for that. But I hope you'll join us next week, too, when we do a little bit more listener feedback. Like I said, if you have any other comments, send them in in the meantime, and we'll get them on that show. How do you send them in, you might ask? How? Chris, well, how do you send this stuff in? Well, the best way is to call our Zomb line at one 483 zomb That is 9662. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead or on Twitter at talkingdead. Finally, our email address is talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. One more thing. Thanks, everybody, for listening during the first half of season three. It's been fantastic. Yeah, we a lot do, of fun. We do get a lot of extra listeners when the show is actually on the air. Not everyone sticks with us through the summer and through the breaks and so on. So I barely do. <laughs> Thanks for showing up. <laughs> um, but, you know, to everyone that has been listening uh, the last, what is it, eight weeks, um, huge appreciation coming from us. 
And uh, we do hope you'll stick with us for the next couple. And then after that, you know, we'll take a little break over the holidays, but be back in January with some uh, some more podcast goodness, hopefully. Goodness before Before the show starts back up again. So, um, all right. I've rambled enough for the Talking Dead. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.